Good, I'd like to invite your attention for a few thoughts, practice-related stuff. In my books, we are in between the uh, practices of Vedanupassana, acknowledging feeling tone, connecting feeling tone with sense contact, and understanding how feeling tone affects us in terms of mood, state, um, the emotive dimension of our lives, and um, learning that because feeling tone arises, we do not need to continue the Satipatthana program into the next stage. We do not need to um, follow pleasant experience on the level of Vedana with desire on the level of citta or with following or with longing or any of the many forms which uh, cover the term uh, tanha. There are many terms in there, so some of them are more like Raga is more like this, yeah. And then there's the more sticky ones, kind of like loba, which is more like connects is like this. Uh, all of these forms of desire are libidinal; they wish to vitalize our experience by intensification, prolongation, getting in there somehow. So if something is pleasant, we do not need to follow through with wanting more. We have a choice. We do not need to follow through in what, if we go with the desire, leads to attachment. Conversely, we do not need to follow through if something is unpleasant and we find ourselves aversed. We find ourselves in states of dislike. We find ourselves in a mind quality that is that can be described as repelling things that can that moves away, that pushes away. That's anything from revulsion, aversion to just kind of wanting to not have it. Yeah. These two things, the desire aspect wanting to have it and go in and intensify and expand and deepen yeah this is one aspect and the other aspect is the moving away the distancing pushing away reversing not having it reducing attention is uh, the other side of the coin these two movements are one and the same movement yeah. you cannot basically uh, maximize desire without maximizing aversion. Yeah. Whether you favor the one above the other uh, says more about your temperamental disposition rather than about the complete differentness of their nature. So, Vedana, pleasant, Vedana, unpleasant, uh, indifferent Vedanas are less of a problem at this stage. Um, have a tendency to bring about states of joy 
and things we enjoy, uh, usually the untrained mind wants to keep. Yeah? So there is no definite rule that says that this is, has to be that way, but a lot of anecdotal evidence just suggests if something is pleasant and I like it, then there is a force uh, taking birth in the mind, wanting to keep this, wanting to repeat it, wanting to just tweak it a little bit, wanting to move it a little more over to this or to that side, wanting to be reassured it comes back, it stays, it belongs to me, I can really own it, I can appropriate it. Yeah? So the problem is not the pleasure, the problem is our reaction to pleasure. What uh, Buddhist psychology calls nandi, yeah, which is very nice. This is not just the name of Shiva's bull, yeah, for those of you familiar with uh, uh, Indian tradition. Nandi means delight. It is, I delight in things. And that delight seeks stimulation here and there, as the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta says. Yeah? It turns here and there, seeking delight and stimulation. And our response to such delight is, yeah, as, as with all good things, we want more of it, we want to keep it. This is the natural, this is the good response, this is the healthy response, let's be clear, yeah? There may be, there may be more messed up responses to that. So fear, you know, something feels good and I'm afraid, I might lose my plot or I might lose my control or it may be so good that I'm never want to do anything else. Yeah? That'd be a less healthy response. Still, the healthy response does not get us free. Yeah? That has to be clear. What is psychologically and developmentally a healthy response is in no way liberating response. So, Vedanupasana practice teaches us that we have, we don't have to engage the whole desire, attachment, grasping, disappointment program just because we like something. Yeah. It is possible to appreciate something and leave it there. It is possible. It's difficult because of much conditioning and because of uh, almost inherent trait to want to repeat and keep what is feeling good. But it is quite possible with the understanding that we cannot keep it, quite existentially cannot keep it, that even if we do keep it, it's going to transform into its opposite and that it doesn't make us happy with the understanding of this, that it does not belong to us. In other words, understanding the three lakana, this understanding helps us that we can be with something that is enjoyable and not grasp it. Good. I wanted to say something about um, sleep, sleepiness, stupor, numbness, um, basically the third meditative hindrance um, which is bigger than it sounds. There are varying reasons for sleepiness to occur in meditation practice. The term is not just sleepiness. I 
it uh, there's two terms in there, tinamida. One of them speaks not just of a an energetic depletion. Uh, the other one speaks uh, from speaks of a rigor, a certain degree of torpidity, if you want, so some, something that does not move, something that is um, stiff and irresponsive. It has no resonance. That doesn't necessarily need to manifest as the signs of sleepiness as we know it. Yeah, You can be in that state without nodding off. You can be looking bolt upright and still be in such a state, sort of stuporific. Um, I've spent quite a few hours in my life in a bolt upright, stuporific state. So there is... A, the type of sleepiness we all know well, yeah, when we fall off our perch. Um, um, generally, there is some shame uh, connected to this. It's embarrassing because it's visible. We're here to awaken and then we fall asleep quite visibly for everybody else. So, so usually we need to undo some of our shaming there before we actually get in touch with the issues that... Um, that we are faced with. But there's another type of um, stuporific um, state of mind in which the mind is not fertile. It can be even quite still. It can be even quite still and yet still lifeless. It can be completely infertile. It is in such a stillness um, we used to call this bhavanga samadhi, which is a, a kind of a, a joke Pali term referring to a, a completely bare bones mind functioning that feels quite devoid of hindrances. You know, it feels quite devoid of uh, desire. It feels devoid of restlessness. Um, it feels devoid of uh, aversion. You um, you have no not many doubts there. It's just kind of you're flying sort of spread eagle through interstellar black space, you know. <laughs> and it's obviously not very helpful, yeah. It, it it may in some strange ways be quite restful or so, but it does not actually generate insight. It does not bring you in connection with your um, immediate experience. It is a blotting out, yeah. and it's important that if your if your mental samadhi, if your stillness starts to feel a little sort of apocalyptic, yeah, a little bit sort of cruising moonscapes, and it's just everything is just kind of dry dust. Then you, you may you may have a whiff of bhavanga samadhi going, yeah, and it's maybe necessary to reconnect with body. That's where the body is really helpful because the body is your guarantee you're, that you're incarnate. You know? That's one of the challenges of this world. That's one of the tasks to, to cope and to make most of our incarnate nature, you know, that we are embodied quite literally. And that, em that embodiment is our connection to the world yeah. and it's also our 
our safeguard that we don't get lost in interstellar spaces, mental interstellar spaces. So it is important for you to recognize forms of sleepiness, um, be that energetic depletion, be that a particular stuporific quality in your mind or body, yeah. um, be that the, the doziness, the, the sort of hazy dreaminess of some of your cognitive and discursive material. You notice you don't actually stop thinking when you fall asleep, you just kind of seamlessly go from thinking to dreaming yeah things become a little more florid yeah and a little more sort of kinky and then you're kind of off and you're in sleep so there are a number of reasons for sleep one of the things uh, with sleep is necessary you need to add to your somatic vocabulary the sensations for sleepiness in the body so that you do know as you do know where you feel joy or where you feel anxiety or where you feel aversion or where you feel uh, happiness or relaxation, you also need to know where in the body you feel sleepiness. That's the first very hands-on task. You need to identify your body's messages how sleepiness takes place in your particular condition. I can easily tell you mine. It's a kind of sort of a, a, a molten leaden flow around my eyes. That's where it starts. Um, it's a particular hardness that seems to creep into my upper chest. It does something with my breath. It becomes slightly more brittle. Yeah, so it loses some of its elasticity in a way. It it has less of a spring. Yeah, in terms of my breath question. Um, Number three decreases dramatically, yeah, the tone. The tonal quality in my breath has a lot, loses buoyancy. Then sort of stiffness setting in, in particular areas of my body. So lower back becomes stiff and then sort of, it's the opposite of PT. Yeah. When PT relaxes, softens and energizes, then sleepiness or tinamida, uh, hardens and stiffens and solidifies. Um, next one is kind of my head begins to become heavy. Yeah, sort of. Generally, the first sense to fall asleep, we don't fall asleep all without all our senses at the same time. Yeah, the first sense to go is the sense of balance, the sense of equilibrium. So when you fall asleep, you your body will manifest that inevitably. This is the saving grace. That's where body awareness really comes to the rescue. Because my body is very likely to manifest signs of sleepiness fairly early on, if I pay attention to, to those signs, I can pick up. Well, my mind will never tell me that I fall asleep. Yeah? As far as my mind is concerned, I'm, I'm never sleepy. I'm just, sometimes I can read better and understand more. And sometimes I'm just keep reading the same words and it doesn't go any further. Yeah? But I never get a message from my mind saying, I am, you are sleepy now. Yeah? But the body tells me that. So if I pay attention to the symptoms of body I have identified as being connected with sleepiness, this is very helpful. I get a chance to address this issue before it has developed momentum. So, 
posture. So something in your posture will change. Usually people's kind of heads will go somewhere, or they will kind of start to slump, or they will kind of keel list, start to list a bit. So yeah, we have all different ways of doing this. Uh, it's very easy to see it with others. It's a lot harder to see it in yourself. Yeah. So generally there's patterns in our posture that begin to change. And when you notice this, um, the temptation is to kind of willfully counteract that. So you, at the worst, you end up in a sort of pumping movement, kind of falling off and then pulling yourself together. Nobody's seen it, okay. <laughs> kind of. And then I'm back here, and then this lasts for about 15 seconds, and then sort of the air goes out, and you go into this pumping, pulling yourself together, pumping, pulling yourself together. This is obviously, you know, there's something heroic in there, and so forth, and we give credit to this, but it's not effective. Yeah, it's not effective. Um, or it is a lot more effective if you kind of just hang in there for a moment and to kind of try to open your eyes and feel how it is where you actually are. Just kind of feel how much effort it takes to hold yourself that way. Yeah? And kind of feel into the parts of the body that feel that effort most. And then you gradually, over several breaths, you kind of come back and seek a more optimized posture. That is a lot more helpful. Um, what is obviously helpful is if you open your eyes. If you are willing to accept that you are now sleepy, that means sleepiness becomes now your practice. You become now aware of the statements of the body that tell you about sleepiness. That means you have now focused on this as an issue. It is acknowledged and you're using your tools. First of them is acknowledgement. Second one is feeling the body when it is that way. Third one is trying to hold against it, gently but persistently hold against it. So you redress your posture. You make sure that you align. You make sure that you feel your shoulders, your hips. You make sure that you know where your head is. You're trying to redress the posture of your head so that it doesn't lull. And then you open, you keep your eyes open for a moment. Yeah. Uh, there are things that uh, are dramatic, uh, dramatically helpful. Uh, there's the famous canonical reference to uh, ear reflexology. Yeah, and the, the Buddha encourages Moggallana of all monks, yeah, who is an absolutely stunning meditator. Uh, Chalabin, Chalabinya Arahat, completely endowed with all the uh, six uh, supernatural, supernormal powers and uh, capable of great meditative depth. But even he was struggling with sleepiness. So the Buddha at one stage compassionately told him to massage his earlobes. Yeah? Which is quite hands-on, isn't it? <laughs> there were other suggestions to stand up and walk, to walk backwards, to go and meditate at the edge of a cliff, on the edge of a... <laughs> On the edge of a fountain, there were a few others in there, but you know, massaging one's earlobes is reasonably discreet, uh, and you can do um, opening your eyes. And then you use the breath to build up your posture, you use the breath to vitalize your posture. That's a secret. Yeah? So you gain the buoyancy in your posture through breathing, you emphasize 
a couple of breaths. Deepen your breath. You focus on the beginning of a breath. Because the arising of things are easier to attend to. There is a certain freshness in your mind. So you capitalize on developmental psychology there. What is a problem usually for our um, the running away of our involuntary attention, now you're going to make use of by saying, okay, if you are more interested in arising things, if you if this gives you more alacrity and freshness, then we're going to focus on the arising of the breathing right now. So sometimes it, hold, it helps if you <clears throat> need yourself a moment. So you give yourself a tactile sensory exp- impression, yeah, something that says, okay, this is happening, I am here, this is... Th- the body. This is the size of my body. This is real, uh, real time now. Coming out of sort of a hazy fog, and then you make the body awareness big, so that it feels all those areas in which you know that sleepiness can be felt for you, yeah. and you're willing to stay there. Maybe. Your practice right now is not uh, going through the gate of um, uh, emptiness onto nirvana. Maybe your practice right now is staying awake for the rest of the sitting. And you do that by paying attention to those parts of the body which tell you that you may fall asleep. Where you know that the sleepiness increases or decreases. Sleepiness or numbness has many reasons. Unfortunately, there are no quick fixes for it. Um, Let me name a few of those reasons that may lead to sleepiness. One of them is um, you are compensating for the speed and the complexity in your lives. So if you come here to a retreat and you've lived on the fast track in your life, uh, then it is very likely that one of your responses to a new retreat situation, a meditative setup, and all this is that you feel understimulated. And this understimulation combined with fatigue and with having neglected parts of yourself and having had a highly um, a fast-paced program of activities beyond it, it just means you're going from one extreme, from being too fast to going to kind of too slow, from over-energized to under-energized. Now this is unpleasant, but it is actually quite healthy. Yeah? It is the response of a healthy mind. We realize, oh, it's quite safe here. You know, I don't actually need to do and perform, and I'm not measured, engaged, and no peer group pressure. I can just, I can just recover here. Yeah, so. So part of your system goes into recovery mode and compensates for the fast pace of your previous stage of life. People come out of this after a few days. Um, Other reasons for sleepiness to arise in meditation practice is um, particularly willful people uh, experience that people who are highly motivated, people who can do a lot with their will, um, um, they experience that part of their mind does not 
want to do what the willful part wants. And sleepiness is a sort of a sabotage of those parts that have not been negotiated with, that have been overruled. This is guy who says, you can drag me into the meditation hall, you can make me go, instead of my fishing holiday, you can make me go to this meditation retreat. Can do. Uh, but as soon as you let go, you know, when you want to become still and relax, I'm going to overwhelm you. You know, you've dragged me here instead of to the coast, here into the forests. You can drag me out of bed in the morning and make me meditate. Fair enough, but you cannot make me become still. You cannot make me become calm. So as soon as you let go, I'm going to overwhelm. I'm going to kick in and then we fall asleep. I refuse to play along. You can have control as long as you exert your will. But if you want to be still, you have to stop with your will because it's never going to be still with just will alone. So as soon as you let go, I come in and I just pull the bag over him and then he's asleep. (laughs) So it's a kind of a... It's a psychological response of parts you have not negotiated with that lash back on you as soon as you release control, as you inevitably will have to when you want to make the mind unified. Another reason for sleepiness is a lack of definition in your meditation object. So if you're not actually clear what your task is, if you're not clear what your anchor is, if you're not clear where you pay attention, if you're not clear what you do when you find you're not paying attention, then you're an easy uh, prey, basically, for sleepiness. You're not just an easy prey for any little stray thought that may just drag you anywhere. You're also an easy prey for sleepiness. So clarity in the definition of your task, uh, an explicit... um, identification of an anchor for your attention, uh, the greatest possible clarity what you're doing there and what it is you're attending to, even though that will change in the course of time. Yeah? If your mind becomes more still, the body will change its shape. It'll become a lot less physical and a lot more energetic. However, if you start off with a clear object, even though that object in the course of your practice will change and your experience of that object will change. It helps to start off in a clear way. Clarity of intention, clarity of task, clarity of object, clarity of plan B, what happens when I'm off. So you may help yourself greatly when you identify your particular task and your exercise and your specific meditation as as clearly as possible. Sometimes um, sleepiness and stupor are, uh, are there because they protect us in some strange way. If things are unpleasant in our life, if, I, we, if we have a lot of grief, or if we have a lot uh, of heartbreak, or if we have a lot of uh, remorse, um, or any, any unpleasant and unrelenting mental state, sometimes 
we feel is attenuated when we are sleepy. In other words, our sleepiness has the function of breaking the edges of our uh, Dukkha Vedana. A classic is um, aversion. So, aversion is an unpleasant state. It isolates us, it feels bad in the body, it generally generates un- unkind thoughts with the world and with oneself, and um, a certain generic acidity can pervade a mind. And sleepiness is a lot more attractive than this. So it may be more attractive to actually be sort of numbed out. And this attenuates my grief or my aversion or my uh, feelings of helplessness. So we go into sort of a self-induced palliative stupor that we uh, more or less administer just to make the pain go away just to break the edges. So sometimes we, the mind does this. And it's important to understand that if, you, if your sleepiness does not go away, or if, if, if there seems to be a persistent problem in your practice, then you may need to investigate what the reasons for this sleepiness are. Um, identifying some of the benefits of sleepiness it's interesting. It's a heretical question, obviously. Uh, and as so often when we ask heretical questions, we find quite revealing answers. You know, If we uh, complain about sleepiness and feel ashamed about sleepiness, we, stay, we may still tacitly neglect the fact that we actually uh, benefit from it in some way. And it's necessary to outline the benefit and admit that benefit. We will never let go of things if we don't admit their benefit. We can long complain complain about their disadvantages as long as the benefit isn't part <laughs> of, of the equation. Yeah. It'll just go under the counter. Yeah. And as long as that deal is somehow offering something for me, even though I don't acknowledge it, that deal will keep happening. Yeah. So it's important that you also identify what you might gain. You know, you can blot out a boring Dhamma talk by a little doziness, or you can not feel your body, who is uh, unpleasant maybe, or uh, it gives you respite in a, you know, from an unrelenting, commenting mind. You know? Or you just don't like that full stomach after the meal and you just kind of sit there slightly slumped on your cushion dozing that hour off and it yeah it doesn't really hurt that much yeah it is the unflattering nature of a slightly sluggish mind which if you have a mind like mine i don't really like sluggishness yeah so so if you prefer not to feel sluggish, you might as well just, you know, doze a little. And you're spared this unflattering experience of having a, a dozy mind. So, mind, uh, you know, sleepiness or stupor, they have an all, a number of facets and they may have a number of little perks, even though they're technically in our bad books, practically. We, we, the mind resorts to such strategies. Sometimes the mind also protects you by going to sleep when 
when you do risky things, yeah. So when somehow you dis- there's a willful part in you that says, you know, we gotta break through this, or this has to be cracked now, or we're not letting up. Um, we're going for the whole hog, the, you know. No prisoners taken here, and and the situation may not be safe for you. Maybe you feel not supported, or maybe you don't have time. You know, you have to be back back at the coal face next Monday, and yet you know he wants to do big experiments with his psyche over the weekend. You know, so maybe the better, the saner part of your mind says, okay, this is too risky. You know, whenever he gets into the dangerous corner, we just we just pull the brake. Yeah, we just put him to sleep. We sedate him. He's not going to do any harm there. Yeah. The stuff, you know, there's parts of our mind that that may feel dangerous or vulnerable or not held. And our minds generally have some intelligence, even though we pretend not to know this. Generally, there's some kind of sense what is risky and what not, what's, what endangers the, the, the structure of our, of our well-being, or what, how much can be held under those circumstances. And if the willful part in us does not consider the resources available, teacher, time, safety, things like that, then there may be part of our mind that just yeah, pulls the emergency brake whenever we get too close to something that we might, uh, you know, get into too deep waters, which the mind senses the resources aren't there to be able to be held respectfully or fruitfully or without re-traumatization or something like that. As in a safe way to do that is just put you to sleep. Every time you go near that area, you feel dramatically sleepy. Yeah, was okay as long as long as we didn't talk about this topic, or as long as I didn't try to go there in the body or to address this issue in my life. And every time I do, I just kind of, yeah, all the juice goes out. So there may be patterns if your sleepiness is recurrent, if you find this sort of suspicious numbness coming up every time you go there. Um, And it may be worth investigating what what that may be about. It's probably not lack of willpower. Sometimes it's lack of decisiveness, you know. No, or it's lack of acknowledgement what your state is. Often it is a sort of mentalized lack of not feeling the body's energetic state. Because body is not very attractive. Yeah? It's attractive when it has pleasure. Um, we give it attention when it has pain, willy-nilly. Um, but there's huge chunks of body in between which I just am not interested in. Who's interested in being with the sensations of how this breakfast is being digested right now? Yeah. It's not fascinating when you can think great thoughts, isn't it? So I don't want to feel the body. Often there's a considerable resistance to the embodiment. 
acknowledging its needs, acknowledging its state, acknowledging that the diffuse sensations, acknowledging um, what it actually picks up. And by this refusal, we are easy prey for sleepiness. So consider if you find numbness, sleepiness, stupor to be something that occurs in your day, ask yourself, when does it occur? Uh, what are the circumstances? What was the thing that I last remember I tried to do before it started? What does it spare me? What do I avoid by sleepiness? What am I trying to do in the first place? How much effort? How much... Um, how much decree is happening in my practice? What is my relationship to intensity? Is this something good? Is this something I'm afraid of? Is this something I feel I have never enough of? Is this something there is always too much of? Yeah. Those would be considerations to take into account when you Try to find out what's happening in the mind if the mind goes into states of energetic depletion, uh, into the sinking mind, as the Tibetans call it, uh, into numbness, into sort of stuporific states. Yeah. I have no big change in my instructions for your meditation today. Uh, please investigate the ending of things. Please investigate the connection between feeling tone and mood, state, um, affect, and ask yourself what that space is like at the end of things. What is the space like I meditate from? Yeah. Chitanopasana takes us into an acknowledgement, not just of attentional object, but from where that attention actually is coming. So contemplate this, use the tools, the breathing, the body, the posture, some of the questions, and um, practice.